Like, I like your cut. No, that'd be fit. I do like your fit, too. Ah. So, my hoodie? Yeah. Yeah, like the cut of your jib. <laughs> you know? You ever hear that? Yeah, for sure. I have, yeah. That's what all of the kids said in 1933. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, look what I've been looking into. We don't have a case, but I've been really researching. It's awesome. I've been doing lots of research. Don't you guys want to hear about it? Yeah, I'm bored of Starfield, so let's do something different. Okay. Rick doesn't answer. He doesn't want to hear it at all. <laughs> no, I want to hear. I want to hear it. Okay. I'm, this is also yeah. I'm more into this than. Let me Starfield. guess. It's it's Spider Man Two. Uh, I don't have a PlayStation. Oh, but maybe I'll buy one for the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't we have a company PS Five? Because I hate PlayStation. Okay, we're still in our uh, our like I did lots of research on Elliot Ness, and I'm now I just got down a deep dark rabbit hole of Al Capone. And then uh, it's part two of our three-part series on Elliot Ness, Al Capone, and the, the Cleveland Torso Murders. An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Like maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. Do you guys remember anything about Elliot Ness at all? I knew that you guys called it before. I'm just curious if you guys remember anything. Yeah, he uh, like haunted a lake in Scotland or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He transmorphed into a giant dinosaur creature. Yeah, yeah, thought so. How did you remember that so well? Good job. I just have it's like a steel trap up here, pal. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Do you remember anything, uh, Rick? Besides the no, you just said that name and I just. I completely blanked. I don't no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I know I know the overarching thing. I, don't I think that's to... part of his thing. It's why you can never get like a clear photo of him and stuff. You know, like the pictures, he's really blurry. It's like he sprays some sort of venom at you or whatever and yeah. makes you forget. Okay. Well, we're uh, going to talk about America's most and first famous mobster, Al Capone. Now, what do you guys know about Al Capone from pop culture you must know some stuff about al capone at least his favorite gun was a tommy gun okay that's a that's a uh, good thing to remember about him he he starred in uh the film scarface and also carlito's way and later <laughs> heat yeah <laughs> the actor uh the actor um de niro definitely played al capone i think he played him just once in uh oh i thought we were talking about al pacino yeah oh sorry no it's al capone ah yeah yeah well, i thought al pacino was scarface pacino was scarface but that they called it scarface which i found weird but he was like a cuban guy right like wasn't that movie like with a cuban coke dealer no al pacino's italian <laughs> i know they made him play a uh, cuban though today he would have been canceled for that shit are you playing? Do you have, did you do you have Cuban face on right now? You're canceled. Okay, well uh, that's all you guys know. Just the Tommy gun, and he he's a f- famous actor that you misheard the name of. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you actually know nothing about him? I know very little. <laughs> I, I do. I, I've watched some. I mean, mostly fictional things that were inspired by true events, but also I went to Alcatraz when I was a kid. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. that was cool. I uh, drove by Alcatraz a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that was not even kidding. Not even, not even being a dick. Seriously. 
like right to it? Like, did you get in the boat and just get? No, no, no I didn't try and go. It was there's just a bridge that runs parallel to it, and I just so happened to be going over that bridge to get to an airport. Cool. Well, that's good. So you didn't learn anything about Al Capone though doing that. No, but actually, while I was going over that bridge, I added um, the movie Alcatraz to my watch list, and then I didn't watch it. Oh, okay, good. So I'm like kind of there. Yeah, I was thinking of The Rock. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Honestly, I don't even. I barely remember what I added to my watch list. I can pull it up, and if you want to run down. If you want to run down on my full watch list, I can give you a The Rock is a really here. good documentary about Alcatraz. Yes, The Rock The Rock is a very good documentary about, about Alcatraz. Alcatraz yeah. yeah. Sean Connery is really good in it. Yeah, I didn't know he was in prison. I don't know how he did all his movies being in prison. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you guys had no clue he died of syphilis. You did know that? Yeah. I did not know that. Yes, I did know he died of syphilis. Okay. Well, since the Elliot Ness episode, you know he went to jail for tax evasion, not for yes. gangster stuff. Did you guys ever hear of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Uh, yes. Didn't we? Okay. Did we not talk about that? I must have heard that from something else. We talked about it for a second, but it's more of a Capone thing, so I kind of left it for this episode. Yes, I do know about that, though. Okay. He's so riddled in pop culture. I just, I'm curious what, since I went a deep dive, I know, like, way too much about him, but I'm just curious what people just generically know nowadays kind of thing. So that's pretty much the basic things that, yeah, I think we learned a little bit about it in school. Well, believe it or not, they, they actually teach his method of being a gangster at Harvard Business School because he like revamped how like money laundering and all that kind of shit happens. He was actually like, yeah, that sounds like American capitalism. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I try to like think of why he's so famous. And it's just because he is American. He's so American. It's unreal. Like, just take yeah. what you want. Kill whoever gets in your way right. and laugh while you're doing mm -hmm. it. And even more American is for the federal government to see what you're doing and go, he can't do that because we want to do that. Let's <laughs> yeah, stop exactly. him from doing that and then find a way to gaslight the public into letting us do that. <laughs> well, and that's that's the other part that I was going to say. Like, he's also like so anti-American at the same time because he's so against the government yep. trying to tell him what to do, right? So he has that. Anyways, let's dig into Alphonse Capone. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, January 17th, 1899. Now, it's important here for me to tell you that even though his ancestry says that he's Italian, Capone was American. He even gets mad about it a bunch in his life when people say, you're an Italian. He's like, I'm American. I'm not Italian. I was born in Brooklyn. Yo, I love that. Yeah, he definitely, he was one of the first guys that would like hire, we'll talk about it later, but he'd hired like uh, Irish people, Irish and Italian people in the early 1900s fucking hated each other. He would hire black people, love jazz music. He like, I, I didn't write this in the script and I'm, I might as well just bring it up now. He like kidnapped a bunch of jazz musicians at one point for his birthday and made them play for like three days straight at his thing. None of them wanted to come. He like kidnapped them to play and they played for three Fuck. days fucking straight. Yeah. He's friends All with right. Louis Armstrong. I don't like the kidnap part, but do I love Al Capone? You might. Like, you might. Al Capone's kind of He cool. kind of fucking rocks. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wanted. I feel like you could probably love him now and not get canceled. I feel like no, his, right. he has a bunch of family members, like uh, great, great grandkids that still live. And the grandparents and the great grand or the grandparents and the parents of these great grandkids all had a hard time with the Capone last name, but now the new generation like brags about him being there because he's so cool now. He's like so far removed from being like the murderous piece of shit that he was that it's cool to, to be related to him. Well, also like the severity of the thing you have to do to get canceled increases with how low your status is in the world. 
Because, like, it's not, like, like, yeah, like, when you're a celebrity and, like, you, like, say a slur or something, like, yeah, you lose your career. But, like, if you just, like, work at McDonald's and you say the N-word, you just work at McDonald's. Like, yeah. the, <laughs> the, the thing you have to do to get canceled from, like, working in, like, retail or fast food is just, like, actual crime, which... <laughs> Is then just that's not being canceled. That's just getting arrested and going to jail. Actually, now that you say that, I'd love to see like the chart that shows how many more slurs are said by like different fame of people, right? So like now do you see a decrease in celebrities, but just like a complete increase in McDonald's workers? Like and like don't get me wrong, like they for sure say it. Like nobody has a face that says like they relish racial slurs more than Chris Pratt. But like, did they just hide it? You know what I mean. Like, as long as they don't get publicly ousted <laughs> for it, like it's fine. He can't even like be honest about the fact that he's fucking like you know he's like he's like a fucking MAGA guy too. Like he, and you know, like he keeps that under wraps. So like, you can't be honest about who you vote for when you're like in that level of position. But like, you have to like throw the hot fryer oil on one of your coworkers to get removed. <laughs> I, I've, there's like okay this is like side tangent a little bit I like focus for a second but like i think there's a weird thing where some people just can't get canceled either though it doesn't matter how famous you are like think about mike tyson mike tyson was a convicted rapist and he's like one of the most famous people in the world people love him yeah. literally a fucking rapist in the 90s like how does that guy not canceled at all louis ck blocked a girl into a room and jerked yeah. off in front of him He's it's like the Catholic. thing you did had to come out during the movement of like the zeitgeist into being like that, right? You know, not fucking cool. Like if it happened before that, it's like it's weirdly like implicitly like not forgiven because like I agree with you. Like don't like here's the thing. Like I don't respect anybody who's famous or rich. Like I don't think I've ever been shy about that. Like I love Tom Cruise movies. Like I'll watch him in anything. But, like, I wouldn't help him if he was, like, teetering off of a ledge. Like, I would just watch that happen. <laughs> he does his own stunts, so he'd probably do that. You'd probably just be ruining one of his takes if you did that. Be like, uh, well, why'd good, you save me? Just... I was trying to fucking land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of it's kind of like if you were anti-Semitic on Twitter last week, you're canceled. But if you were in the 1940s, America kind of just looked the other way, you know? Well, yeah, they hired you to make fucking bombs for them and <laughs> create NASA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, is Canada canceled? Because like two weeks ago, we applauded a Nazi in our parliament. So, yeah, so Capone said he's not American. He was the fourth born of nine kids but the first to actually be conceived in America. He liked to talk about this all the time. Back in Italy, his father, Gabriella Capone. They kept saying that in the fucking, anyways, Ga Gabriel. Gabri Gabriella. Gabriella. Yeah, they kept giving him an Italian accent every time they said his name. I was listening to a bunch of different things. I listened to an audiobook on this one. And the guy would just like super monotone the whole time, except for when he said the Italian names, he would throw an Italian accent. I was like dying. Oh, <laughs> it would make me laugh every time. Back in it's... Italy, his father, Gabriella Capone, was a baker specializing in making pasta. Gabriella and his wife, Teresa, and their two sons, Vincenzo and Raffaele, moved to America from Italy in 1893. Vincenzo, or James, or Jimmy, as he called himself as a kid, really loved cowboy movies. I just love that. That's, that's like the, how the 
I'm like, why? Just I, fucking d- just... Dude, that's the most Italian-American <laughs> thing in the world, and I fu- it drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> oh, man. Everyone in my family was like that. Like, uh, like it was always like... It, it it took talking about food for them to know how to speak Italian. Like, <laughs> I do love how you hate your Italian heritage. Oh, because mm. <laughs> I'm sure it'll bubble back up. I'll I was going to say, well, I'll, I'll keep poking the bear as this yeah. goes through. So, yeah, Vincenzo used to call himself James or Jimmy. They gave themselves all American names. As soon as they got here, they love being American. He uh, went from Vincenzo to James, not like yeah. Vincent. No, he went from to James. <laughs> And uh, don't worry, he even changes it even more. He loved cowboy movies. He was like right into them. So he left home at the age of 16, which wasn't super rare in the early 1900s, honestly. But he he went to Hollywood to become a cowboy actor. That's what that guy left for. So it's James. It's Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> Raphael. Mom, I told you it's Mark. <laughs> uh, Raphael actually changes to Ralph. He does. He, he, he's good. Raphael is one of the brothers. <laughs> you go. Of course. They're yeah. fucking Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to spoil like Jimmy's life early because he's not really in life, Al's life at all. But he does have a funny story, which I find amazing. So, first of all, he left home, pursue acting, didn't make it to Hollywood, though. He got as far as home, Nebraska. And when he got to home, Nebraska, he changed his name to Richard Hart. Now, Hart, the reason he changed to Hart is that was the last name of William S. Hart, his favorite cowboy actor growing up. He went there. He's like, oh, I like this place. I'm going to stay. I'm Richard Hart now. And then he got went to World War One. And he went back to home uh, because and then he became the sheriff, came back to the little small town. I'm the sheriff now. And then uh, Richard Hart got the nickname Two Gun Hart because of all the successful raids against bootleggers and his aptitude for shooting. He became a federal prohibition agent during the 20s and 30s, nice. which is fucking hilarious because that his brother was the biggest bootlegger of all time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that surprises me. Kind of feels like that's how corruption works. But no, he didn't know him. They didn't know. Like uh, Al Capone was way younger. He didn't even know he was alive until later in his life. Oh, uh, yeah. He like disappeared. I think it's awesome. I hope like he like came back to the family. Like, I don't know. He was washed up and broke. Like by the time he came back, he just heard about Al and went there like, I need money, you know. Uh, But by the time he got there, Al was already like broken from syphilis he already had like brain damage from it he had like the mental capacity of a 12 year old so he didn't even really understand that his brother his big brother was back so i just wonder i think it's awesome like i wonder if elliot ness tried to recruit richard hart because you know he's trying to recruit from all over the country the best the brightest i wonder if he tried to get richard hart to join the untouchables because that would have been fucking awesome if he was like hey wait we're getting out <laughs> like that would yeah be great. That would be some serious fucking like, uh, oh, yo, have you ever seen the proposition? That's kind of the plot of the proposition where it's like uh, the uh, he's got to go after like his brother. Oh, OK. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. OK, I, I'll watch it on the list. Oh, that movie's fucking sick. Yeah, watch that movie. Uh, Gabriela and Teresa's third son, Salvatore. Salvatore was uh, or Frank, as he called himself in later in life. Uh, was conceived in Italy, but born not long after landing in America. Teresa and Gabriela had five more kids after Al. Uh, Ermina Capone, who died at the age of one from meningitis, was girl, Ermina. And then Ermino Capone, which he went by John. 
But they, they just named the guy and the girl Ermina and er, Ermino. I just find that fun. Albert Capone. So once they started having kids in America, they just gave them American names. Albert, Matthew Capone, and Mafalda Capone, who was the youngest daughter. Both Ralph and John remained a part of Capone's life in the criminal business. The others went their own ways. Albert, like one of his other brothers, just disappeared from their life and no one ever knew who he existed until he was like 95 when he died. Uh, John and Matthew... Both stayed in Al's life, but not in a crime way. They were just like, basically, Al was basically their dad. And Mafalda was Capone's baby sister, and she lived with him and his mother until his and her death. Wait, Albert? Wait, I'm sorry. What was Al Capone's real name? Alphonse. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. I was so confused. I was like, wait. Yeah, he had another brother named Albert, which I find hilarious, too. You're just like, (laughs) we're running out of names here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ermina. Ermino. (laughs) Alfonso. Albert. Ralpho, Ralphie, <laughs> D- David O, <laughs> Mafalda. Okay, so Mafalda, I'm just gonna spoil a little bit. Of her, she was short and stocky woman. That when she when she got married, she was like people called her ugly, which I love. They just don't even care. She was an ugly lady. Uh, but when she got married, people were shocked and assumed it was, she was married off in some mafia deal, like some fucking marrying a princess off to the king of the land over i fucking love that wow (laughs) Uh, anyways we'll talk more about the family as we go but ralph and frank are the two that are in the story the most so gabriel was said to have an advantage above most immigrants when he came to america because he could read and write in english when he arrived in america super poor he had to give up his baking because he didn't have any money to open up a shop in new york city so he had to reinvent himself in this in his 30s as a barber he'd also do some sort of like some day labor from time to time when his chair wasn't full at the barbershop. Gabriela eventually earned enough money to buy a building and open up his own barbershop. And the family moved upstairs to that. Teresa Teresa was a seamstress and mostly did work from the apartment above the family's barbershop. Al was a good student. He wasn't a great student. He was a B student, but school didn't last long for Alphonse. He quit school at the age of 14 because he had a, disagreement with one of his teachers and that's how like a couple historians put it and there's a couple different stories how this goes so one story is like this i guess some boy in his class stole his lunch and al wanted it back and he was disrupting the class by trying to fight the kid the teacher the first story is the teacher makes him stand in the corner for disrupting the class and then al goes fuck this i'm out of school i never came back (laughs) okay sure that one's the nice story the other story goes that the argument goes a little bit further and in, uh, instead of Al getting put in the corner, he starts to throw fists at the thief kid. And when the teacher comes to break up the fighting boys, Al punched his teacher in the head by accident. Nice. Yeah. So Al gets kicked out of school for that. I'm assuming that's the real story because of what I know about Al Capone now, but maybe not. Can I share something real quick? Sure. So I looked up Mafalda Capone to just see if she was his un unsavory as people were saying and, and yeah. she's not i don't i don't get the hate but look at the fucking guy she married do you see those goddamn <laughs> eyebrows those aren't eyebrows those are uh what the fucking... fuck is that like this is her like she's just she just looks like an italian woman okay this is her wedding photos go find more photos of my father you can't it's just her wedding photos she it's, looks there's... fine there's a couple more and she's like which ones like when she's old like this is like when she's old like she's just like a middle-aged woman there but like that's not even bad like it's grainy as shit yeah but like 
that is an average looking woman. Yeah, it's nothing wrong with those pictures. Also, an average looking Italian woman. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, but an average looking yeah, Italian woman is like a is ugly. two to it's every ugly. other. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going there. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you said average looking uh, Italian woman. You might as well call. Them I ugly. feel bad yeah. for Italian women. <laughs> it's Italian men. I hate. <laughs> Whatever, a beauty CI beholder. Plus, like beauty standards were different in the twenties. She could be beautiful now and like look like a fucking pile of horseshit back then. Like, if you look at like Miss USA from nineteen twenty five, she's got fucking horse face. Like, it's not yeah. No, I know it does shift, dude. We so we were watching um rewatching The Shining last night, and um that that photo in the end from nineteen twenties. Yeah, everyone in that is so fucking ugly. It's crazy. <laughs> It's just funny you brought that up because, like, go and look up that photo from the end of The Shining, and it is just the most unflattering picture. It's like I think it's actually from the twenties because, like, it is. They just photoshopped his face into it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because, like, God damn. I'm sorry, Mafalda. I didn't mean to trash you. I'm just repeating what people say. I don't really know. I don't. He feels mafawful about it. Yeah, definitely do. I'll quit school. He never regretted quitting school. He always said he learned more on the streets than he ever did in school. But he did know he was smart enough to know the importance of education. He always forced his brother, Matt, John and Mafalda to finish school and not get into his business. So Al was a big kid, always a big person, even for his age. Uh, when he was like 14, 15, he was a tough kid. And he had a reputation of being a good fighter. Uh, he would always fight kids in the neighborhood. And he uh, they say he always won, but I doubt he always won. But I'm sure he won most of his fights. He's a big boy. Al's brothers were also big and tough kids. Frank and Ralph both joined gangs early on as kids. Uh, all three of them did, I guess. Ralph was the tough guy and Frank was the smart one. And they said Al was both of those. He was smart and tough. Now, let me skip ahead with Ralph a bit just because it's a fun story. I didn't know where to put it. So uh, Frank didn't have any children, but Ralph did. Ralph had one child, Ralph Jr. Everyone called him Ralphie. Ralph Sr. had a much better nickname. Uh, his nickname was Bottles. Uh, <laughs> so Ralph's nickname was Bottles because of the bottling factory. He would work at the bottling factory. All right. So that was just when Ralph was older. As a kid, he wasn't called Bottles, but I might call him Bottles a couple times because I like it more. So let's go back to them being kids. So Al was so big that at like 15, 16, he used to fake his age telling him he was older. One of the fun things he used to like to do is he'd go to the pier and he'd egg on Navy men that are getting off their ships, and he'd want to fight them. He's just like, come on, you little bitch. <laughs> he'd fight the Navy guys. And apparently, they were twice his age, and Al, Al won most of his fights. So, I don't know. I guess that's that's a fun thing to do when you're 1920s kid. How big are we talking? Because I looked up his height, because he looks like a short guy. But, like, he's talking. I, I, think, I think he's 6'3", but, like, back then, that's huge. I'm just going to bust in here for a couple seconds and tell you, he was 5'10", and I'm dumb. Really? I, I saw, like, three different heights. I saw 5'9", 5'11", and now you just said 6'3". Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in the 6'1". Six, six I think it's 6'3". I, it comes up. I, I wrote it down later. All right. His cardboard cutout is definitely 6'3", that I'm looking at right now. Some lady's <laughs> measuring it. <laughs> After Al was kicked out of school, he got a bunch of odd jobs. And jobs which he gave paychecks to his parents to help around the house. And I haircuts, I guess, don't pay for, like, 10 people. I don't, I don't know that. And Gabriella, Gabriella was always sick and he couldn't always work. He was, he was a sickly man. Um, so Al got a job as a box cutter, a pin boy at a bowling alley, 
He worked behind the counter at a candy store and at a munitions factory, which Jesus, they're just like, here, kid, make some bullets. <laughs> Al also joined a street gang called the Boys of Navy Street. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they all were ascots and danced down the street together. Uh, actually, the gang was a bunch just they're just a bunch of kids. And they would all just sit around outside smoking cigarettes, trying to look scary. They did like minor robberies and stuff like that. Nothing too harsh. They were just trying to be tough. Like living in downtown New York with a bunch of immigrants coming in must have been a little ski, but I had to group up to be safe, you know? Why? Because people were fighting with each other all the time. Everyone was super racist. Like everyone hated Italians. Everyone hated Italians oh. and Irish. It, it just sounded like the, the immigrants were the problem. That was That was very interestingly worded. That's all. What to be safe they had to group up? That's just what it is. There's a guy named Frank Nitty. He was the leader of the Boys of Navy Street. Uh, later in life, Frank Nitty became Capone's number one enforcer. It's just Nitty stayed with him his whole life. We'll talk about Nitty a little bit later. Nitty was like a decade older, so he was like 26 years old, gathering up the 16 year olds around town, being like, "Let's let's form a gang, guys." The Boys of Navy Street relatively harmless. All they were a bunch of Italian kids that would war with all the Irish boys in their neighborhood. Al was already fighting those kids anyway, so what was the difference? Uh, he's just now organized. And Gabriella, Gabriella saw Alfonso. Sorry, I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, going down the criminal path with the boys of Navy Street or the Navy Street boys. And he didn't really like the criminal element. He wanted him to make a fair living. So he decided to buy his son a shoe shining kit. He told him, go downtown to Union and Columbia Street under the clock. And there's going to be a lot of vendors there and use that kit to make some money, which Al did. He took the shoe shine kit. He made a bunch of money. Al, Gabriella tried to give Frank like a kit as well, which he did. Uh, but Frank wasn't as responsible as Al. Whatever money he made, he used to gamble to try to make more money, to which he used to buy like fancy, nice suits. And then he just sold the kit eventually because he liked nice clothes. Gabriella hated that. He wanted him to earn money. Al loved that about Frank. Al loved that he used to dress like super nice. Al looked up to Frank a lot. He wanted to be a snazzy dresser. This we kept calling. They were snazzy dresses in the in the Times parlance. You're like, okay, snazzy dresser has to be said. So they were snazzy dress. Well, Frank was. Al wasn't. He just gave his money up. This is where I find Elliot Ness and Al Capone are similar. Remember, Al Elliot Ness worked at that suit shop and he wanted to sell more suits than everybody else and he wanted to dress fancy so like Elliot Ness and Gal Cabone have a lot of similarities this is just the first one that comes up they like to dress fancy sorry I would bring all his money home to his parents because his mom his dad like I said and this is also another way that Capone is similar to Ness uh Ness was a mama's boy remember he lived with his mom till he was like 27 when he got married and then he moved out Al Capone's mom lived with him and his family for most of his life like pretty much the rest of his life. And he would call his mom every single day at the end of his workday, Al would, and then he'd call his wife. So he'd call his mom first and then his wife when he wasn't going to be home every day. So they're kind of no, like that too. So a little, little codependence going on for sure. It's the, that's like an Italian stereotype, right? Where their moms are like super special to them. Mm -hmm. So That's yeah. what makes the men so bad. That's what makes the men so bad is their moms. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't despise Italian women until they become mothers, and then they uh, I gotcha. they churn okay. out these monsters. I, gotcha. I think there's they're God's gift to Earth. Uh, so while Al's shining shoes, he notices a lot of things. Al's very smart. He is. He really is. 
Uh, he notices the guys that who could afford to get their shoes shined were typically the exhausted factory workers. These guys didn't work that hard. All these guys did. They went from vendor to vendor asking them for protection money. And they seemed like their lives were a lot better than the factory worker guys. So Al looked at them and he's like, I want to be like them. And he did. So as a shoe shiner, he figured out how to maximize profits. Al hired a few of his older, dumber friends and started doing what he saw the guys in the fancy shoes doing, but just to the other shoe shine kids in the same area. So he was shaking down the other shoe shine kids being like, you want to keep shining shoes? Or we'll beat the fuck out if you don't give us half your profits. Nice. Uh, so... Yeah, he, he caught on pretty quick on how to, to extort people. Uh, he, they called them, they, that was basically a new gang that Al started. And they called themselves the Southside Rippers, which I did. That sounds very menacing. All they were doing was holding up shoeshine boys. Yeah, but did they, did, did they earn that name? Did they like no, rip they up just, their underwear or something if they crossed them? Or <laughs> We're rippering you off. Hmm. Hmm. while he's shining shoes he also meets a guy a uh, very influential guy in his life named johnny torio uh, torio is one of the guys shaking down the vendors not fully known and understood by capone yet but johnny torio was a mobster who had ties with many different shady operations in and around new york city if not the eastern united states capone decided to chat up this older man and torio took a liking to the young capone by this time, Capone was 16, and the 33-year-old Torrio noticed the young man's size and offered him a job as a bouncer at his club. Point here, 33 years old is older than Capone was when he was arrested and put in jail. So Torrio had already lived basically what Capone lived, and he saw this kid and took him under his wing. Capone jumped on the opportunity, thinking that maybe he could get a job like Mr. Torrio and one day get his shoes shined by some other kid on the street. Protection money was his bread and butter. Torrio got a job as a bouncer at the Harvard Inn, which is located in Brooklyn. This was owned by Torrio gangster boss, a guy named Frankie Yale. Yale named the Harvard Inn because of his last name was Yale. He's like two Ivy League things going on right here. Super funny. I really enjoyed that like weird pun joke about your bar. Yale uh, was this very successful gangster. Yale and Torrio saw the potential in young Capone and realized that he was very smart and could be used in that regard as well as his physical prowess. So Torrio starts using Capone to do his books as well as bounce in the evening. Capone was to be his protege. Capone loved the gangster lifestyle. Um, he learned so much about crime from Torrio. Capone also learned a lot from Yale, but it wasn't the same stuff he learned from Torrio. Torrio was smart and solved problems with diplomacy while Yale was a hothead and violence was the way he solved most of his problems. Al was picking up the usefulness of both violence and diplomacy at his young age. After working with Torrio for a few years, Capone knew he was right to look up to Torrio. Not only was Torrio well-respected and feared on the streets, he had lots of money, and that's exactly what Al wanted. Al also liked Torrio because he was like Frank in a way. He was what people would call a snazzy dresser. Southside Rippers represent. You Googled Southside Rippers and that's what came up and then you put it up? This is someone's SoundCloud album. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, go that's, check out that is Southside exactly Rippers on Southside Rippers. Go check out Al. 
I, you know what? I'm at the end of this. I'm going to play one of their songs. I don't think they're going to charge me. They're going to sue me at all. <laughs> no, uh, so side represent. So side represent. is not found. Maybe it has been removed. <laughs> I just, all I got, all I got is the album cover. I don't Capone meets his soon to be wife while he's working at the box factory. He's working a job and he's also helping like doing odd jobs for Torio. Mary Josephine Coughlin, Coughlin was a timekeeper at the same factory. People just called her May, though. Uh, she was two years older than Capone. And even though later in life, her and Al used to lie and say that they were high school sweethearts, they were not. May got pregnant with Al much before they were married. They actually had their first kid, Albert Francis Capone. I shouldn't say first kid, their only kid. Albert Francis Capone, a.k.a. Sonny, three weeks before they were married. She was Irish. Uh, which was rare for an Italian and an Irish to marry at that time due to tensions between the two minority groups, not to mention the premarital baby. They were lucky at all to even be able to get married in a Catholic church. This is another similarity to Ness. Okay. Uh, Ness wanted to have lots of kids, but he only had the one adopted one. So they only had one kid, but like they both had one kid. I, I just find it interesting. There's so many, they're on opposite sides of like the law, but so similar in so many ways. Al and May only had one kid because May actually gets syphilis from Al and she says it made him sterile and she had a few stillbirths, blamed them on the syphilis too, which it probably was. Sonny got syphilis from May and Sonny was sickly as a kid because of it. So hmm. May got hers cured when she started to get symptoms and she did the same with the baby, the boy, the young man. I'll just talk about May and Sonny just a bit here. So May and Al loved each other and stayed together for his entire life. Like right till he died through the syphilis, through the violence, through the legal troubles, through Alcatraz, even through later life, mental health issues. May was always there for Al. May hated all his siblings. May hated his mom. The way Deirdre Bear in the book that I read was Capone, his life legacy and legend describes it as she just put up with them. So like she just, loved al capone what was her age gap two years surprising she was two years older yeah she was older two years older yeah interesting even more surprising yeah it's i find it kind of interesting that that's what al capone wanted to look like in the public as a family man loving family man and he actually really yeah. was like he actually had that in him it was also a psychopath but I mean, he just wanted everyone to see that, and he was, and it shows through his life. May put up with a lot for him. I just damn, it's it's too bad the the position of tech CEO wasn't available that back then because he probably would have really fit very neatly inside of that role for sure. If he would have been like in a different socioeconomic background, he would have been a, for sure a CEO of some major Fortune 500 company for sure, hundred percent, no doubt in my mind. I just wanted to put that out there. Like they were together the whole time. I'm not going to hammer down on their love through the whole thing. I just want people to understand that she stayed through everything. The syphilis. Imagine getting syphilis when there's no cure for syphilis. And you're, you know, your husband's out banging fucking hookers and stuff like that. And you're just like, whatever. That's my, that's my man. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like, Hey, I'm going to be your man or I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't like that. I, I, I looked in to see if he was, he was not like that with her. He like babied her. Like he was, it's yeah, really weird. Gaslighting, Richard. <laughs> okay. It's gas. Sure. <laughs> the OG gaslighter. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's another incident that happens to Capone that makes him who he was it, while he was still in New York city. 
Uh, this was just before he met May. One night while he's bouncing, bouncing at the Harvard, Al told some woman that she had a nice ass. And her brother, Frank Galuccio, was there. To defend his honor, Frank Galuccio slashed Capone's face three times with a broken bottle. I don't know if it's one swing with three slices from the broken bottle or if it was like three separate slices, but he had three giant scars on his face after. That's how he got the nickname Scarface, which he fucking hated. What qualifies as a nice ass in 1929, especially when that was like the the start of the Great Depression? They're just like, damn, look at that. It looks like a crisp brand new book right yeah. off of the presses it's it's 1919 sorry because he was born 1919 1917 okay. sorry 1917 17 yeah. you ate the whole wheelbarrow of bread <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he got the nickname scarface for having the scars on his face but he fucking hated it but capone never actually got to get retribution for this even when he was mm-hmm. like head honcho later on in life because in the mobster community, what Galuccio did was justified. Capone was disrespecting his sister, and Capone actually had to apologize for doing that, and he got what he deserved, and he had to live with the consequences of his actions. But he did hate the scars, so later in life, he would always, like, hide his face. If anyone, if you ever look at Capone pictures, he's always, like, on a profile, like, most times. You don't ever really see the scars. And even later in life, like he would get powders and creams and shit to cover it up. So no one would be able to see what he was. Mm. And if you, if you called Capone Scarface, when he was head honcho in Chicago, you were dead. He would kill you or he would fuck you up. Like you did not call him that to his face in the papers. They would do it. Like they would call him Capone Scarface and he would find the fucking like person who wrote the article and beat the shit out of them. Like don't call him Scarface Hmm. until he was in jail. Once he was in jail, it was all Scarface Al, like every article. Nice. Uh, earlier, <laughs> some, some dude with two broken arms and a typewriter. Big dumb bitchy <laughs> Scarface, scary hatchet, fucking mug, motherfucker goes to jail. <laughs> just like a hundred adjectives making fun of him. <laughs> He's just smiling with but missing a bunch of teeth. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. Yeah, it's one of those neck brace things. <laughs> back in, uh, we'll go a little bit back in time here. So 1908, years before he met Capone, Torrio was asked by a colleague in Chicago to run protection against the Black Hand. The Black Hand was just like another gangster organization. They would just threaten people with letters, which I found hilarious. They'd send you a letter like, give us money or we kill your family. Did it have like a black hand insignia on it? Like, like, like what, like from the dark brotherhood? I don't know if they had, like, if they actually, I, I couldn't find any letters. I was looking to read one so I could laugh at it, but they just describe it. I don't know. They didn't really say there's any insignias. I wish I did know. Wasn't the black hand something in the Godfather too? Could be. They're, they're pretty big. Like they're from the, like from Italy and they would come over and they were, they were scary. They were scary people because of reputation, yeah. you know? This guy, this other guy, Vincenzo Big Jim Calissimo, he had owned over 100 brothels in Chicago and he was getting extorted by these people. So he called his New York friends and said, can you send some muscle? We're getting fucked up here by the black hand. So they send over Torrio. Torrio would make trips down to Chicago to just to help out. And apparently in the first couple months in Chicago, Torrio had killed 10 black hand members and basically just taken over, taken over a South Side gang and run protection for Jim's brothels, Big Jim's brothels. 
So it took him two months to get a handle on that. So Torrio was like now spending a lot of his time going between Chicago and New York. When he met Al Capone, he was like half in between both cities. So much of this time, Al's bouncing at the Harvard. Torrio's making his way back and forth to Chicago to take care of his operations there. In 1919, Torrio calls up his buddy and protege Capone to come join him. Capone's 19 at the time. This is like a major fork in the road for Capone. He had a wife and he had a kid. Gabriela just died recently enough, a couple months prior to this. And Capone needed to make money. He was now the breadwinner around the family. Frank was just spending all his money on clothes. Ralph was younger. Jimmy was off trying to be a cowboy and all the other kids were just young. So he felt a big responsibility to take care of everyone. And he had another job lined up before Torrio called. He was going to go to move to Baltimore to take up an honest job bookkeeping. But Torrio added a zero to his wage and Capone saw dollar signs and he headed down to Chicago to be with his mentor. I don't know. This is when he goes down there. He starts without the family. He goes down there just by himself to get started. Torrio has him bouncing at one of the mob establishments at 2222 South Wabash Street. The bar was called the Four Deuces because of the address. Capone had been in Chicago, was there doing that. He'd been in Chicago for about a year and in 1920, Prohibition was made into law. Torrio saw Chicago as a great town for the mob to get into the alcohol business. The mayor at the time, his name was William Hale Thompson, Big Bill. So now we have a Big Bill and a Big Jim. Big Bill Thompson was considered a wet, meaning that he didn't agree with prohibition laws. And with that came an opportunity for the mob to bribe the mayor and make some serious cash. All you have to do is just look the other way. Once they start that, the cash starts rolling in pretty quick and Capone is basically second in command under Torrio when he gets there. Like he's only 20 years old and he starts to run his life a lot different. Are you putting up the four deuces for us? Yeah. Um, if we, as long as we're all okay with buying a, a minimum of a $3 drink each, we'll get early seating. And when we get early seated, it means that we're, since we're going to be sitting first, we're, we'll get to order our four course meal first. That sounds like, Al Capone's kind of place. No, that's worth relapsing over. Yeah. <laughs> Four course meal? Ruined my life? Why not? Sure. Holy shit. Tickets are 80 bucks. <laughs> to go to a bar. Capone's got shit tons of money now working at the Four Deuces. He starts buying fancy suits. Uh, he had like a completely yellow one, like Dick Tracy yellow that he wore only nice. on Saturdays or something. He had like chartreuse ones. He had bright blue ones. Always double-breasted because he thought it made him look look skinnier, look thinner because he was a big boy. Um, he started. He was such a well-dressed man that he earned a new nickname that he liked while he was in Chicago when they called him Snorky, which means well-dressed man. Snorky. Isn't that a great name? Mm. Come on. I feel like that meant something else. <laughs> like what? It sounds like something, you know, uh, homosexual. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, he overheard it, and they're like, "Ah, oh, was look at that fucking yellow suit. Look, he's looking a little snorky today." And he's like, <laughs> comes up behind him. He's like, "What's that mean?" And they're like, "Ah, it just means you're so well dressed, Al." <laughs> and they're just sweating, and he's like, "Oh, cool." More and more vibrant until he's Steve Harvey. Until he's Steve Harvey. Okay. Actually, that would be a good way to describe him. Steve Harvey-esque. 
dressing like that. I looked up Snorky when I first looked it up and it came up. Did you watch that horror movie, the Banana Splits movie? No, I haven't seen it, but I know I know what it is. Yeah, the elephant's called Snorky in that. Anyways, the movie's good, by the way. Is it really? It's like Wait, so campy. It's amazing. I yeah, like, I like that. See, the banana splits creep me out by themselves. So, yeah, I know it was well done. It was very well done. I I, okay. I was like, this is so bad. And then I just I kept going like more, more. Give me nice. more of this movie. OK, so he's snorky now, even though Al was making tons of money with Torio, bouncing and bartending at the four deuces wasn't good for him. There's a lot of sex work going on at the club and Al would frequent the sex workers. Now, he didn't consider this cheating on May more like testing the product is how he kind of described it. And this is where he contracts syphilis. In a city alone, 19 years old, being surrounded by brothel girls. Uh, This was just too much for Capone to resist. Uh, He wasn't careful, so he got syphilis, and he didn't treat it. He just let the symptoms come, and then eventually they go away, and he thought it was gone. Is So, like, back then... How hard was it to figure out that you had syphilis? Like, what was what's the pro? I, I don't even know what the process is. Is it something that like shows up, or I think you get like fevers and chills and stuff like that. If you go to the doctor, they'd be able to test you pretty quick. You'd be sick, oh, right? Like you like you'd feel it. You'd feel it for sure, and you'd go to the doctor, and the doctor would be like, "Oh, you've got syphilis, young man," and then they give you that mercury shit, that Salverson stuff we talked about last episode, and then you'd be sick for another month, and then it would go away, and you just hmm. kill it off. That's cool. But no, he just decided, no, we'll just tough through it. And then it just kind of went away. The symptoms went away and he just never really thought about it. I'm sure his wife told him about it a bunch. There's a whole lot of rumors about how he was scared of needles. I don't think that's true because later in life, you get, he has to get needles all the fucking time. And I don't, there's no describing, there's no like parts of hearing about him, like freaking out. Cause he saw needles ever only that, like this, that's the only reason he didn't go get cured is because he was scared of needles. I just think he was like, I'm not sick. I'm a man. And it just kept fucking. Yeah. But also maybe at that point, the needle fear part of his brain had completely liquefied and rotted away. That's true too. That could be it for sure. Yeah. So in the years to come, Capone moves the family to Chicago. Capone buys a house in the suburbs for them to live. This is the only time where Capone is not flashy. He just wanted a nice little suburban home that he bought for $5,500 which was kind of expensive back then, but it was kind of average for a lot of people. It was just an average house. Just a nice, understated, not at all snorky house (laughs) with bright yellow paint and a giant feather on top and a double-breasted door. (laughs) Nothing too crazy. Yeah, no, not... It's kind of average. Honestly, you could look it up. It, It would be awesome if it was super yellow. That'd be great, like... Like Dick Tracy. I call this the Saturday house. (laughs) Well, you know what? You're not, you're kind of not wrong. Later in 1920, Torio makes a move and he decides that Big Jim has to go because Big Jim doesn't want to get into the alcohol business and he's fucking up our money, our profits here. So he kills Big Jim in his own restaurant. Torio calls up Big Jim, told him that there's a shipment coming and he needs to be there. You get a shipment of alcohol, you got to be at the restaurant. Big Jim shows up, gets shot. Rumor has it that they called Frank Yale, their buddy from uh, New York City, to come down and do the deed himself for Torrio and Capone. From that point on, Torrio's in charge of the Chicago outfit, which is the big gang. It's It's not even the biggest gang. It's one of the gangs that's in Chicago at the time. There was just 
one of many. And since alcohol was the new means to make money, all the gangs fought like constantly. It was called the Chicago Beer Wars, and it lasted pretty much as long as Prohibition did. So with the mayor being a wet, they were going to make a killing. They just had to convince him to look the other way, which he did. And it was all money and violence for Torrio and Capone until 1923. Torrio preferred no violence, but I mean, the money was good and everyone fought over it. So whatever. 1923, they elected a new mayor of Chicago, set on reforming the corruption. His name was William Even. Uh, it's E-V-E-N. Is that Evan just as spelt weird or is it Even? Mm-hmm. William Even Deaver. I think it's pronounced Gabriella. Gabriella, yeah. Evan. Mayor Deaver was opposed to uh, prohibition, but he ran a campaign on reform. So he threatened all the criminals uh, with reform. Like, I'm going to change the police. We're going to get rid of corruption. You guys are done here. So Torrio didn't like this threat. And instead of just going out to kill the mayor to, (laughs) like, continue... He used his brain. He did a different plan. He thought to himself, the cops are going to be all up my ass in Chicago for bootlegging and all over the other gangs are just going to keep fighting us for our bootlegging money. Fine. I'm just going to move my operation to Cicero, which is a suburb nearby where they have a different police department and an easier government to corrupt. And that's what they did. They bought a hotel called the Hawthorne, set up operations there. Uh, Torrio also traveled a lot during this period. And that meant Capone was in charge of the day-to-day. He knew with all the gang violence in recent years that even though he moved his operation to Cicero, he was the target from the other gangs. He killed the head of the snake, he killed everyone. So his idea was to just go travel. Now with the beer wars in full swing, Al set up office in the Hawthorne Hotel. He put his brother, Al put his brother Frank in charge of the political stuff, like payoffs or whatever. And he made Ralph his muscle go take care of anybody who needs to be offed or anything like that. And they started systematically taking over the government of Cicero by intimidation at every vote. You need a new sheriff? Stand there. They stand in front of the fucking voting booths and say, you better vote the way we want to vote. You need, we need a new mayor? Fuck yeah, we're going to rig that one too. They called it, you better vote right. And they would stand there with fucking guns and threaten people. Nice. That's illegal as shit. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. The good old days. The good old days. <laughs> There was a young reporter named Robert St. John, and he started a newspaper to try and fight Al because Al already had a lot of stuff taken over by then. Uh, The Cicero Tribune. Al didn't like to be criticized. So anytime the Tribune printed anything against Capone or Torrio, St. John said that either he or his staff could be punished. This is what I meant. Like they would break the fucking hands of the reporters. So to combat St. John, Al bribes the other newspapers in town, the Cicero Star, and starts to do community work. So then Al gets the star to only report good stories about Al. Like Al opens soup kitchen. Al gives money to poor. Al does nice things. This is a nice guy, Al. And the star was a bigger paper, bigger than the Tribune anyway. So it had a bigger audience. And this helped with the softening up of Capone to the city at large. So in 1924, Capone got his guy in as mayor of of Cicero. Sorry. Joseph Z Klenha Z. I don't know how you guys say it. Z. Joseph Z Klenha. He was already mayor, but he found Capone and asked him to help secure his reelection. Klenha promised his gangster buddies that he would look the other way, exactly what he wanted. So Capone brought in 200 Southside gang members to help with the election. They ransacked politician homes that weren't voting his way, threatened women who had been excited to use their vote for one of the first times. And anyone else, I guess, that got in their way. 
They even shot up campaign headquarters for the guy that was running against Klenha. So much violence that Chicago got wind of it, and they had to send in 70 members of law enforcement to help the situation out. More violence ensued, and at some point, there was an altercation with Al Capone, Frank Capone, and a few of their lackeys and the police. Uh, They were walking down the street when Frank saw two dark sedans following them, and when the sedan stopped, the altercation ensued. Now, this is reported in two different ways. One way is that the cops jumped out of their cars, guns drawn, The other is that when Frank saw the car stop, he pulled the gun on them. Either way, it doesn't matter. He's riddled with bullets by the time the cops are done with him. And apparently Al escaped. Their lackeys were just injured. And like I said, Frank was killed. Capone held a $20,000 funeral in Frank's honor in the next couple days. Wait, that cost more than his house. Oh, fuck yeah. Three times more. What the fuck? Yeah. Mayor Klena used the violent election that he won because of the violence to use as a talking point to stop violence in Cicero. So he was like, I got to stop all the violence. That's I promise you guys. Now that I'm mayor, I'm going to stop all the violence. He did it. He made this violence. Al, his brother just got killed. Al didn't like this at all. So Al goes to city hall and beats the shit out of the mayor of Cicero in front of city hall. That's how corrupt Cicero was. He pulled the guy out of his office into the front of city hall and beat the fuck out of him. Right there. No one stopped him. mm, The way that I would want to do that, like, or just, like, see that happen in modern-day America, like, that, that's so sick. (laughs) It's fucked. It's like, little town mayor just gets pumped, tranced by fucking Al Capone. Yeah, dude, that would be nat. I don't care where it is in the world. Like, like if a mayor gets, like, dragged, like, I mean, like, unless it's in, like, fucking, like, you know, the Philippines or something, you'd be like, yeah, of course. But, like, if it's, like, you know, in, like, Nebraska, if a mayor got dragged out and got his <laughs> shit kicked in. It's funny, damn. like, for sure, it's fucked up. But, like, imagine how corrupt you'd have to be the whole town. that No one did anything. No one did anything. No one's nothing. Yeah. Like, no repercussions. And the Chicago outfit ran their business from Cicero, unaffected by local law enforcement for years to come. I mean, like, what the fuck are you going to do, though? Like, because, like, even if, like, you're the cops and you see your boss getting his ass absolutely handed <laughs> to him outside of his office. <laughs> it's great. It's. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to be like, damn. Maybe everyone hated the guy, too. Yeah, he really should have approved that overtime. <laughs> and then just. <laughs> He'd probably turn on, like, fucking, we'd record it and live stream it to something oh, at this point. Oh, without yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, that shit would be everywhere if it was now. <laughs> In Chicago, the beer wars are still waging. Torrio's still trying to negotiate treaties between the gangs, but it's not working. Uh, there's these six brothers, the Jenna brothers, who were a little crime outfit who came from Sicily running some spots around Chicago. They were allied with Torrio, and they started to encroach on some north side gang territories. And the North Side leader's name was Dan O'Banion. And he tried to make a deal with Torrio. But after not getting a satisfactory answer from Torrio, O'Banion threatened to unleash hell on Torrio and the Chicago outfit. So Torrio arranged for O'Banion to be murdered in broad daylight in front of his own flower shop. He's like, I can't deal with these guys. It's his own fault, though. Torrio couldn't keep his hands on his own guys. Like those Jenna brothers, they just kept encroaching. He was, if they just would have stayed in their spot, they'd be fine. But they were, they're the aggressors is what I'm trying to say. 
Well, just a side note, Al bought those $20,000 worth of flowers from this O'Banion's flower shop, the guy that they just are about to murder. It was not long after. So the Northsiders were now led by a guy, a guy named Jaime Weiss, backed by a guy named Vincent Drucci and Bugs Moran. Would you say his name was Miami Weiss? Jaime Weiss. Oh. <laughs> With their leader being murdered, the Northsiders vowed revenge on the Chicago outfit. In 1925, there's an assassination attempt on Capone from the Northsiders as retribution for the O'Banion murder. He was shot at in the streets with a Thompson machine gun, a Tommy gun. The first time a Tommy gun was ever used in gang warfare. They were new from World War I, and they were finally making their way to the streets. And this actually made the streets way more deadly than they were before. Uh, Al gets away, but just barely. And Torrio sees this assassination attempt and thinks to himself, not, thank God, Al, I bet you had that too. But his main thought was like, oh, Al Capone's the fucking, they think he's in charge now, so he's the target. I can come back home. You know, I'm coming back home. I'm moving back to Chicago. So 12 days later, after Torrio moves back home, an assassination attempt on him by a lieutenant from the North Setters, Bugs Moran, who shot and injured Torrio. Apparently, the story goes that Moran had a gun up to his head, tried to shoot, and either the gun jammed or he ran out of bullets. So that's the only reason he didn't kill him. When the cops got a hold of this, because it was a big shooting, everyone was like half dead. So Torrio's like lackeys are dead. Torrio ends up in the hospital and arrested. And I guess Al Capone gets called to be in front of the judge to ask what happened with the shooting. And Capone did what any good gangster does, doesn't talk never talked to the cops no matter how much you hate the other guys the cops are worse you know uh, he kept calling himself al brown an antique furniture salesman he's like i'm al brown i don't know what you're talking about i'm just i sell antique furniture guys he did that a often he lied about so many things during that thing the only thing that he said that was true to the judge was when the judge asked him would you tell us anything if you did know anything he said no i value my life too much to tell you if i did know anything <laughs> so he just told the judge like you're not scary the streets are scary And then Torrio spent about a month in the hospital in recovery. And Capone stuck by Torrio every day, spent every night at the hospital. And he posted lots of guards near him the entire time. After Torrio recovered, he was arrested and brought in front of the judge. Torrio had warrants from before being shot, bootlegging stuff, prohibition stuff. So he was sentenced to nine months in jail. And Torrio did not care. He actually thought jail was a safer place for him to be right now, considering he just got shot at in the streets. Jail was different for gangsters back then. Well, I guess some gangsters are like this now. El Chapo and all these guys, you hear about their luxury living in jail. But yeah, he he got his wife to come in and like decorate his cell, whatever he wanted. Got some nice rugs, nice uh, whatever. Every night, almost every night, they said he would... Torrio would go to the warden's house for dinner and drink. Like you go have supper with the warden. Uh, And then nine months went by quickly and Capone watched this and Capone learned. He said, okay, this is what I do. If I go to jail now, I know he would do this later on in life. The assassination attempt forces Torrio into retirement though. Once he gets out of jail, he's like, I'm done. The reins are yours, Al Capone. I'm going to go live out the rest of my life in back in Italy. And he gives the Chicago outfit, reigns to a 26 year old al capone Hmm. torio and capone had run the outfit much differently torio was in the shadows uh in the literal underworld chicago is built 10 feet above swamp 
I didn't know this. So there's literally like a, a I, I say city, but it's not really a city. It's like tunnels and stuff. Trains go through there, stuff like that. But it was really good for the criminal element to run stuff around, especially during bootlegging time. There's fucking tunnels underneath the entire city. Streetcars and shit like that would go under there. So I guess they're built in the late 1800s, early 1900s to reduce the city's problems with flooding. And they're later used for running telephone lines and for a massive streetcar system. Torio knew these tunnels would and would use them for to go place to place downtown in Chicago. Now, Capone ran the outfit out in the open. Did not give a fuck. He used to say that he provided a service that people wanted. That was his job. He wasn't he's just people wanted. I'm providing it. That's all what I'm doing. And he loved the show of the whole thing. Like he was always looking for press, which this is another thing that him and Elliot Ness were very similar on. Elliot Ness would call for the press to come anytime he had a bus so he could have a frontline headline. Elliot was much the same way. You wanted to talk to the press. Uh, it was common for him to talk to the media. He was like a movie star level famous by the time he went to jail. Like he was worldwide famous. Yeah, he was always going to fancy restaurants with his fancy clothes. He was good to the community at large. Honestly, he donated shit tons of money to shit tons of places. Uh, especially the school that his little brother and sisters went to. Like I said, he was adamant they stay in school and get an education. So he made their life there a lot easier. Had he not been there, the school would have been a lot rougher, I'm sure. Uh, he looked at himself like a modern day Robin Hood, which is what lots of people looked at him like too, honestly. That's like what all criminals do though. Like when they have like, you know, that status and like empire. I mean, that's what they, they hide behind fucking the poor and defenseless and all that. Like it's a tactic. For sure. But he like genuinely thought to a point that he was doing a public service, which. Yeah, it's what justifies murdering somebody because they pointed out the incredibly obvious scars on your face yeah that's true <laughs> it's true people did kind of love him you know the government were the bad guys they were taking away their alcohol he was the guy actually helping yeah. them out and he was helping out with like soup kitchen and shit like that he was in the community the people didn't like the violence but they turned the other way they turned the other cheek to it you know what i mean people hated prohibition more than they hated violence you know what i mean like all this while al's collecting allies in the police department in the media in the government, you know, his power is greatly rising in Chicago. Here's a fun Capone story that happens around this time. And I didn't know where to fit it. So I'm fitting it here. Capone used to love gambling. Did Canada have a version of prohibition ever? No, we we supplied you guys with alcohol. A lot of it. Oh, that's fucking wild. We can't ship and it over. Hey, what is, what's the downside again? You guys can't have guns. We can have guns. It's just very regulated. They did have the bacon wars. And uh, <laughs> as we know today, the the flat salami circles won. And it was the greatest tragedy in the history of the world. Can you get like a, American bacon up there easily? Yeah, we don't call We just call that bacon. And the other one we call P-meal bacon. It's not Canadian bacon up here. It's called oh, We call it Canadian bacon. That is fucking way worse name than Canadian bacon. Uh, yeah, why wouldn't you guys just take credit for like the second place bacon? I don't P know. Pea meal? Yeah. What was the name poop dinner taken? <laughs> <laughs> Shit <Ew>. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Shit breakfast bacon. <laughs> P E A M E A like P uh, like I mean, I'm sure, but that doesn't take away what it sounds like. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I don't. I've never. I know what it. I know it's called Canadian bacon where you guys are, but to me, it's female bacon. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I know it's not your fault, but fuck. <laughs> 
I never thought of it in that way before because I see like when I buy pea meal bacon, you see it. I don't see P-E-E space bacon or meal bacon. You know what I mean? I get it. Yeah. So yeah. Wait, 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 sorry, which yeah. do you buy like r- more regularly? Just like, what's your bacon. preferred? Just bacon. Okay. Pea meal bacon is just ham. Like it's just fried ham. It's okay. It's not that good though. It's like salty yeah, ass ham. I, well, that's the thing. Yeah. The name of it ruins it because it's like. You can get ham and eggs here. It's not that, but like you get Canadian bacon and eggs, and it's just like, like it's like someone cracked open a package of Oscar Mayer and then like microwaved it and was like, "Here you go." And it's like, <laughs> why would I have this when I could have regular ham? Like, yeah, no, for sure. No. So yeah, here's a fun story about Capone. He used to love gambling, which was dangerous because he also had a bad temper and he sucked at golf. And they all had guns too. Typically, Al didn't carry a gun in public, but in private, he carried a gun. So one time, he's golfing, and I guess he's digging through his pocket or something, and he shot his scrotum while drunkenly golfing with some friends. Uh, he had to spend two weeks in jail for that. <laughs> nice. He just shot his scrotum. I don't know where to fit that in there, but he definitely did it. <laughs> can fit it in the notch in his scrotum. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, now machine guns are in the streets. Like I said, the mid twenties until his eventual capture of Capone were some of the most bloody. The other gangs were starting to hate Capone even more because now he's vocal in the media. They wanted no attention to their business. If, if he gets attention, they get attention. If he just would shut the fuck up, they could do go apart their business with less cops knocking down their doors. So now Capone keeps exposing them. He's exposing them all. Assassination attempts grew tenfold during this time. Uh, There's one story where a rival gang just like shot Tommy guns around his house. Al was surprised. He like, oh, no bullets came through. What the fuck is that? And he went and looked at the window. And that was like the whole point. They were just trying to get him to look at the window. They shot the window when he, as soon as he popped his head. Good thing his bodyguard, who stayed with him for most of the rest of his life, named Frankie Rio, was there and saw it coming and jumped and shot him to the ground. He he shot Al Capone to the ground to protect him? No, like he chucked him. Like he grabbed him and threw him <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Mr. Capone, no, get down! It <laughs> <laughs> just shoots his knees He's out. He's like, oh, thank you, Frankie. <laughs> you shot me before they could shoot me. Yeah, Capone, Capone's under a lot of stress right now. First, he moves out of the Hawthorne Inn. He knew everybody could watch him come and go, and that made him nervous. So he wanted another place that was more secluded, that only his closest confidants would know where he was at all times. So he moves into an apartment building he buys back in Chicago. This building had a tunnel that led to the garage so that he could avoid any drive-by shooting. So he would just park in the garage and walk into his house through the tunnel. Then he moves from there because he didn't like that place that much. He sets up a place called uh, the Lexington Hotel. He buys the whole place and it ended up being like his like complex, his whole place of operations. And the Lexington, he made bulletproof everything like bulletproof windows, bulletproof fucking walls, bulletproof, like everything. The back of his chair was bulletproof. When he turned around, he was bulletproof in the back. Like, I don't know. He had a personal chef that he would make take a bite of every bit of his meals before he would eat anything. He's he's going down the paranoid, and I don't blame him. He's being an idiot. And yeah. Capone basically lived in the Lexington until his eventual arrest in 1933. He does have other houses that he does frequent, but this is his main base of operations. That's that is the one, dude. That is a snork fortress. 
<laughs> missed opportunity. He should have called it yeah. Smart Fortress. I like that. I think he did in private. I think we all know he did. Just to save face, they were like, no. Al, that means you're gay. Never mind. <laughs> it's the Lexington, everybody. The snarky. I love being snarky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Capone had a bunch of assassinations. He's, he's fighting this war. Uh, he was at war with another gangster headed by the O'Donnells. So one night, Tom Duffy, Jim Doherty, and William McSwiggin went to a place called the Pony Inn for a few drinks. And as they're leaving, Capone's men drive by and riddle Jim Doherty and his friends with bullets, killing all three. Doherty was known to be affiliated with the O'Donnell gang. So that was normal. They, that's the fighting that was happening. But his other friend, William McSwiggin, uh, he's the assistant state attorney, and he was out to get Capone's gang. So he was out talking to that guy to try and get some sway to get Capone off the street. He was an unfortunate death, not targeted, more of an innocent bystander. Not how the city saw it, though. Mayor Deaver was pissed. Now he's out to get Capone even more. And now he was on the map of everyone, any type of power. So now it's not just the gangsters. It's the fucking, the actual people that were supposed to stop him or trying to stop him. Now, Capone didn't have to worry about that long. Almost a year later on April 18th, 1927, elections for mayor were being held again. Capone made sure to get Deaver out and his buddy, Big Jim, back in. I can't remember his last name now. So he for sure went and sent guys to the polling stations to make them vote for the way they want him to vote for, just like he done in Cicero a few years back. Big Jim's reelected by a small margin and Chicago became less of a risk for Capone again. By the end of 1927, I believe this is what they called the, I could be wrong. I don't think I wrote it in here, but maybe it's later, but they call this one, the pineapple election or whatever pineapple primaries. Cause they would chuck bombs like Capone had made bombs and they, all the people would call them. They look like the shape of pineapples. So they're he's bombing places. Like that's how psycho this guy is. So <laughs> he's Robin Hood, but also a terrorist. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Robin Hood, if he did terrorism. Robin Hood. Well, it, put it this way: What would the police call Robin Hood? What would the sheriff of Nottingham call Robin Hood? A terrorist. Yeah, but like, I mean, I would need some evidence that Robin Hood is callously trying to affect the rich with disregard for the lives of innocents. Like what would the sheriff of Nottingham say if he saw him hanging out with a black man? The terrorist. I feel like he'd be like, what is that thing? Cause <laughs> it's the middle ages. Jesus. Right? Like I'm just saying. Morgan Freeman was the best part of that movie. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen Robin Hood in fucking years. I don't I wasn't talking about the movie. I thought it was like what the fuck talking... was it before it was the movies? Was it like a it's not like a fairy tale, is it? I guess it's like like an old story or something. I don't know, honestly. I... Yeah, I have no idea where its origins even are, so I don't know, honestly. I have no clue. Good maybe, good question. Yeah, maybe Disney, we need to investigate it's, it's that. Because of the it's because of the Fox movie from Disney from the nineteen twenties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So by the end of 1927, so many people had died in the streets from gang wars. It was getting harder and harder to fight Capone. Literally just not enough guys. So Capone capitalizes this and calls a meeting. Capone calls all the leaders of all the gangs to a meeting where he proposes a truce. The same truce that Torrio was offering. Split the city up into territories and there's more than enough money for everyone. 
And Al, I don't know. Plus, he's just sick of looking over his shoulder. And he didn't want to fight anymore. He wanted to spend more time with May and Sonny. So the gang leaders agreed to the truce, and Al went home to the suburbs for the first time in months. Now, just to let you know, this truce lasted two months max, and then they were back fighting. But there was a truce. As soon as he gets back home, May was happy to have him back at home because Al's mother and Mafalda had been driving her fucking crazy. She just wanted to get out of Chicago for a bit and just hang out with Al and Sonny. So Al agrees and he says, let's go on a vacation. So they end up deciding to go to the West Coast, to L.A. In December 1927, Al, his wife, Sonny, Ralph, and some of his goons get on a train and head to the City of Angels. Side note, Ralphie was living with Sonny and May, and he wasn't invited. Ralph, like his dad, was allowed to go. So Ralphie had to stay with the bitchy, which I'm assuming is bitchy, uh, Grandma Teresa and Mafalda just, he was so mad. Bottles got to go, though. Before he gets on the train, Al addresses the crowd that had gathered. By the way he was talking, like he was making a speech to them, it sounded like he was never coming back to Chicago. It sounded like he was retiring out to L.A. I'm leaving, I'm never coming back. That was kind of exciting for the news. Is Scarface Al retiring? And then all you hear is a bone break. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) The moment the train arrives in L.A., though, the mayor and the sheriff and a crowd of people are waiting for Capone at the station. And they tell Capone that you cannot stay in this city. You're not allowed. You can stay Mm. for one night, get your affairs together, maybe two, get back on the train and head back to Chicago. So Al's kicked out of L.A. with his brother and his family. They were gone for eight days total, and six of those were traveling there and back. Like I said, Al's a huge celebrity by this time. So after he gets kicked out of L.A., the general public hears about it. And he kind of becomes like a joke after that, like a little bit of a, like people laugh behind his back. He can't even go to LA. What a, what a loser, you know, not to his face. Cause he'd break your face, but like in whispers, he's starting to lose the crowd a little bit. Is what I'm saying. May still wanted to go on holiday though. She was pissed. Like I'm not even allowed to go anywhere. So Al does a little bit of research. He says we can go still, but I got to do a little research. And he calls the mayor of a few major cities and finds one that he's allowed in. Uh, which is the mayor of Miami in March 1928. They head to Miami where he's allowed in by the mayor as long as he doesn't get into any quote unquote tough stuff. Everyone else in the country is like, why are you letting him in here? Don't let him in. He's like, well, he's brings lots of money. They're actually excited to get his money. Really? That's what they said. He bribed him. And then uh, Capone, they loved it there. May was so happy to be out of there. Capone ends up buying a house in Miami under May's name house for May and Sonny. May didn't like Chicago, uh, and after this visit, she never really went back. She went back a few times, but she just stayed in Miami. Uh, His mother, Teresa, Ralph, Ralphie, his sister, and many other people took over their house in Chicago. While they're on vacation, the Illinois primary is happening in April. So, yes, okay. So, this is when that pineapple primary is happening. From his house in Miami, he orchestrated what is now called the pineapple primary. Pineapples, in this case, are what they called the bombs that were set off at polling stations to prevent people from voting against Capone-backed candidates. Mayor Big Bill Thompson didn't really uh, help calm the Capones down. One of the candidates for Senate was run down in his car, shot and killed that night. His name was Diamond Joe Esposito. I only said his name because it was fun. Diamond Joe Esposito. Sounds like a guitarist. Sounds like a baseball player to me. Sounds yeah, like an outfielder. That too. Sounds like a Justin Bieber song. Diamond Jones. Esposito. Oh, okay, I was going to say, uh, sing me some of it, but you did. 
There was so much violence that day that it's the beginning of the turnings of the community man Al Capone into the gangster dangerous man that he actually was. Violence was back in the streets too because, you know, gangsters couldn't keep the truce. Capone was getting more and more paranoid for his safety. In 1928, he made a bulletproof, or he didn't make it, he got a bullet, he bought a bulletproof Cadillac worth $20,000 in 1920 money. Uh, the steel plating added 3,000 pounds of weight. The back window came out so a machine gun could be shot through it. He's just sick of all the gang wars. So he wanted to live a normalish life without always having to look over his shoulder. Too bad, buddy. You make lots of money stepping on people's throats. People are going to want to step on your throats. You're too late now. You know, it's like a classic story. Like, yeah, so it's this is what I mean. The story's so like American. It's so, yeah. Problem is now, genies out of the bottle. As much as you wanted to stop the war, the other gang leaders weren't listening to reason. That and Capone's men just kept encroaching on their enemy's territory without regard to consequences. So, without resolution, Capone wanted to make one big play and end all the gang wars. Plus, Capone just wanted a little revenge in there, too. So here's his opportunity. He made it very public that there was an alcohol shipment coming in on Valentine's Day. Okay, February 14th, 1929. So that's there's going to be the craziest alcohol shipments coming in. So he makes it public. Everyone knows about it. They're all talking about it. So the Northside gang decides they're going to send seven people to go intercept the supposed Capone liquor and steal it for themselves. The boss of the Northside gang at this point is Bugs Moran. Uh, Bugs inherited the gang when Jaime Weiss was taken out a couple of years earlier. So Bugs was supposed to be at the warehouse to get the alcohol with the seven men. But the story goes running late because he was out getting a haircut at the barbershop because it was Valentine's Day and he had a date in the evening. The seven Moran guys show up to get the booze. They're looking around for it. Four other men show up. Two of them are dressed as police officers and two others claim to be plainclothes detectives. They told the seven men to line up facing the wall and the officers could search them. This is the middle of the day, by the way. This is like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. These guys probably thought, no big deal. Police in Chicago were illegally bribed. Who gives a shit? So as soon as they're all lined up, a few other guys with Tommy guns came out and mowed them down right then and there in the middle of town, broad daylight. Um, this is what they call now the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, it was actually photographed and made national headlines the next day. The gruesome shots you can still look on the internet if you want to find them they're not that gruesome compared to what today is but back then that was like whoa it's still pretty bad like it's a bunch of dead dudes but it's not i've seen fucking far worse herbert hoover since it made national headlines herbert hoover he was the new president of the united states and he got wind of this and he was begged by officials in chicago to take down the now infamous kingpin hoover ordered capone squad that elliot ness was in charge of the squad that was eventually named by the press as the untouchables now, if you want to hear more about the Untouchables and LNS, go back an episode and you will hear about it. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre is really big because it changed public opinion of Capone. Really is the big thing that it did. Between the murder of McSwiggin, Diamond Joe during the Pineapple Primaries, and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the public had had enough with Capone's mm. shit. People just didn't want to live in fear of getting shot in the middle of the day. That was the big thing. Like now it was all happening at night in corners. This is in the middle of a fucking day now. Capone was honestly never proven to be the person who ordered the hit on Bugs, like the St. Valentine's Day massacre. But like, it's pretty fucking obvious it was him. Of course, Bugs and the rest of the gang were out to get Capone after this, but he didn't fear the Southside gang. He'd been warring with them for a long time now. Bugs Moran put a $50,000 bounty on whoever could kill Capone. $50,000 in 1926 money is a shit ton of money. So three of Capone's men decided to take up Moran on the offer. 
These three men didn't have any beef with Capone at all. It was just their greed that got the better of them. I guess these guys were talking about it at the bar and Frankie Rio heard about it. And Frankie Rio went straight to Capone and told him about it. And Capone didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. So he decided he was going to test these three men. So he and Rio set up an elaborate plan. Rio and Capone would pretend to get in a fight. They're at the restaurant and Rio gets up and slaps Capone across the face and storms out of the restaurant while those three guys are there. So the three men thought it was awesome that Rio would go up to fucking Capone and slap him in the face. And they figured this was an opportunity. If we can get Frankie Rio, his number one bodyguard on our side to kill Capone, then we can do this. No problem. They approach Rio and they say, hey, let's do this. And Rio's like, sure. Obviously, Rio goes right to Capone and says, okay, it's real. It's not. They came up to me and said. So Capone's idea is he's going to set up a dinner in honor of these three guys. Big, nice, long dinner. After a nice evening of what I'm assuming is spaghetti and laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. The exact thing the Italians subsist off of exclusively. (laughs) Capone switches to Furious, like on a dime. It was near the end of the night. And he starts, you little piece of shit. And then three men come up from behind where these other guys are sitting and push them back into their seat when they're trying to stand. Then Capone gets out a baseball bat and beats these men to death while they're seated in their chairs in front of everyone. Damn. Then Capone's men take the three men, put them back in their car, drive them out into the middle of nowhere. They light the car on fire. And then before they leave, they riddle the burning casket on wheels with Tommy gunfire just to make sure people get the point. You want to try and fucking kill me? Even if you're my own guys, I will fucking desecrate your corpse. Okay, but like they had Tommy guns and they beat them to death with baseball bats. I don't like Capone specifically himself killed these three guys. Yeah, that gets the point across. They like, yeah, yeah, like everything, like nothing else is like even remotely hits that height. Like, I get it, I get the overkill to be like, whoa, but it's like, excuse me, you did what? (laughs) I guess that it never went through, obviously, because he never got assassinated. But yeah, I think that was the biggest attempt and the most publicized. Now, I don't know how like exaggerated these stories are to make him more legend than he is. I don't know if he's the one who actually beat the shit out of them. It's reported in that way by the biographer. He, The biographer even says, like, it could have just been, like, the bodyguards doing all of this. But it's more fun to say Al Capone did it, so I'm going to p- perpetuate that. <laughs> like, it's more fun. I have this image because, like, I don't believe he was six foot three tall. I believe he was probably, like, four foot nine. Like, just, like, waddled around, like, with a really high-pitched voice. Calling himself Snorky all the time. <laughs> so, like, if he, like... Beat someone to death with like a baseball bat. It was really probably just a super intimidating bodyguard standing there with his arms crossed, and he was just like struggling to lift a baseball bat, going like, eh. <laughs> He's got Frankie Rio behind him, like ghosting the yeah, baseball yeah, bat. Yeah, like, yeah, like like showing like, like like a dad yeah, <laughs> showing him honest. t-ball. <laughs> you mess with me. Gotta say it with a deeper voice. Yeah, mess with me. <laughs> That's with me, <laughs> Al Capone. I'm Snorky. I'm Snorky. Now that the St. Valentine, all this stuff, the mayor can't protect him anymore, and the police are back after him. Local governments are keeping him out of cities because of it. You know, cities across America. Federal government was actively trying to stop him in Chicago. This scared Al. Al was rightfully terrified now. The, the federal government, state governments, 
other gangsters, city government, everyone's after him. He was and, shaking in his snorky boots. Yeah, and federal agents don't bribe as much as the locals do. So Yeah, they get paid really well. Here's a fun thing that happens that I didn't know existed. But in 1929, May 1929, Al's invited to the Atlantic City Conference, which was widely considered the first ever gangster conference. So gangsters from all over the U.S. attended with the intentions of figuring out how to maximize profits. Ideas included pooling their money, planning business strategy for the end of prohibition, and who is to answer for the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Capone was to be the sacrificial lamb. He didn't admit to doing it, but he was the guy who was the most public, and they said, you know what? You're taking the fall for this asshole. Al's even more scared after this conference. He went there trying to be tough. All these other gangsters brought like five or six guys. All Al brought with him was just Frankie Rio. He just went there, him and Frankie Rio, and he made it out alive, but he was scared. So instead of going back to Chicago, Al come up with a plan. It's the old Johnny Torrio plan. He decides he's going to go to Philadelphia because he knew the warden of a jail there and he's going to get jail. He's going to call the police on himself for carrying a gun. So he and his friend, longtime bodyguard, Frankie Rio, call the police, wait for them to show up and get arrested. And Al never carried a gun. Rio did, but Al really didn't. And they both plead guilty to this and get a one-year sentence. It was a lavish time in jail for Capone too. He got anything he wanted. Got May come in, bring him fine furniture, beautiful rugs, paintings. Got a $5,000 radio. It's almost as worth as much as his house. Yeah, anyone he wanted to see, he ran his business out of there. It was safer, safest place he could be in jail. He's now just protected by guards. So he got, he stayed in there for a year. From the time McSwiggin was killed until his eventual arrest, the untouchables are knocking down his door. But they're really not knocking down his door. I just figured this out when I did research on uh, Capone. Capone wasn't really in Chicago. He's like in Miami. He's all over the place, but in Chicago. So the whole time Elliot Ness is trying to catch Capone, he's really, Capone's just not there. He's just knocking down breweries, doors. Never, Capone wasn't going to be there. Like you were very rare to have Capone in Chicago. Capone was in fucking jail for a year of it. You know what I mean? So I just thought that was, I thought that was interesting. That is ironic because it's more like Capone was the real Ellie Loch Ness. <laughs> it's true. Almost it's like lo- he didn't exist. So you exactly. had you had Ness Nessie looking for him, but couldn't find him. I thought that was pretty fun. Do you think? Do you think Ness knew that he wasn't around? But do you just think? I that don't know. Just- I don't. I don't pretend to know how cryptids think. <laughs> I just think it's an interesting question. Like, was he running there trying to fucking catch Capone or was he just trying to shut down breweries and using the media as like an outlet to like say I'm coming to get you Capone, but he knew he wasn't around. I just I hope he I didn't mean, like, know. I hope he didn't know. Joking aside, like everything we learned about, yeah, like him is that he was a fucking fame whore idiot loser. I, I never I didn't like anything I heard about him when we did him. So I'm I'm certain he was probably dumb enough to be like, I'm gonna be the guy. I'm going to get it. Yeah, no, probably. You're probably right. That's the thing that's fucked up. Like, you just didn't even know. I, oh my God. He's fucking going in front of the news being like, I'm never coming back. I'm going to LA for the rest of my life. And Ness is kicking in the door. I'm coming to get you, Capone. Like, I just. <laughs> He's lying. Yeah. I know it. Go back to the Ness episode. You want to hear more about that. But yeah, I know Ness wasn't making his life easy. It's just. He just wasn't around getting arrested. He cost him millions of today's dollar money. Like, 
Anyways, the untouchables are on the ground, getting prohibition charges laid on Capone. The government's already trying to get Capone on tax evasion charges. We talked about that in another episode. Because Capone wasn't around, his business was falling apart even before Ness. The Great Depression was already starting to take hold and profits were down on all illegal activities. If you can't afford food, you're not spending on whores is really what's the moral of that. I don't fucking believe that for a second. That if you can't afford food, you're not spending on whores. Not as much. I'm sure you're still banging whores, but not like... I, yeah. <laughs> it's just what it is. <laughs> Rick's like, there's always room for whores. <laughs> I spent I spend 20 hours be there. a day writing programs to automate my, my car starting. She's fully recharged, I guys. I still she... find time for hookers. <laughs> This hooker is fully retried. I thought you were going with like he's got one on his hooker. No, he's, he's, well, he's now got, ready he's to got go. The program called so that it it goes on backpage.com for him <laughs> right when he gets home from work and it, it knows the right filters to search through and you got a yeah. website top of mind ready to fucking go. You never heard of Backpage, pal? I, I have not. I'm gonna look it up. Now. I don't know if I should look it up on this computer. Mr. If I, Mr. Champion of sex workers over here. <laughs> No, I did not know that was a thing. It was too mainstream for you. You're on you're on the indie whore sites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The press is starting to turn on Capone too because they're starting to follow Ness a lot more. So Capone starts to combat that by opening soup kitchens. And he was feeding three thousand people a day during the Great Depression, which is something, but it's not really making up for his assholeism. Uh it didn't really work either. Like press saw right through him. Uh, in 1930, the government put Al's brother, Ralph, in jail for tax evasion. A couple years before they got Al. I didn't know that. Old Bottles wasn't the first bootlegger to be put in jail for tax evasion. In 1927, a bootlegger named Manley Sullivan was put in jail for the exact same thing. Manley brought the case to the Supreme Court stating that the money he made was not legal. Therefore, it shouldn't be subject to tax laws. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the government. And after that, ill-gotten gains were considered taxable. So I find that pretty cool. If you're running around making $0 in a fucking Mercedes, you owe us taxes. Ralph was an easy target for tax evasion charges because Ralph put all the stuff he owned under his own name while not completing his tax returns. Al was a different beast. Everything he owned was under a fake name, his wife's name, or even the name of some of his employees. So they had to follow him around and figure out what he owned, how he spent his money, and to keep track of it all. And it, that's, it seems like a big task before the internet, before electronic surveillance, but they did it. And President Hoover really wanted Capone in jail. So they did. They followed him around for years, figuring out a ballpark amount that Al was worth. And it was lots. Al would spend $1,000 a week in food alone. That's more than most people would spend in a year in food every week. His expensive suits, custom cars, and even custom-made silk underwear was brought under scrutiny and that's one of the things they talked about a lot in his case was his if you can afford silk underwear where are you getting the money <laughs> I, well that's not that's not fair the man had a, a misaligned scrotum he needed the the this <laughs> to be custom made so it could fit his misshapen sack and it had to be silk so that it was soft enough to not irritate the very sensitive scar tissue that was that's true Scar balls. Yeah, yeah, he was scar sack, and that that one that one didn't even get around. That's how serious he was about stomping that shit out. Yeah, I wonder if anyone called him scar sack and got fucking just clipped. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Estimates at the end of all this is Capone was making a hundred million dollars a year. He would have been a billionaire by today's standards and he never paid any income tax. He claimed that he made but, no money. How would you, I mean, can you, so like, can I commit crimes, make money and then pay my taxes? And I'm fine. I'm not, they can't get me on the tax evasion shit, but now they're going to be looking at me because I got all this money. They could get you on your illegal activity. Where'd you get the money? That's but they wouldn't know. But do I have to say, oh, it was a legal activity? It was just activity. You'll see Al's like response to this. He tries to pay taxes. He try. he says, okay, fine. I'll pay you some taxes. They don't accept it. <laughs> right. So they, I, that, that feels like a violation of like fifth amendment rights or something. Cause like, no, because I no, think- I'm pretty sure it is because you would, you would basically be making, you would be going up and it's the same reason that um, the original marijuana tax stamp act was outlawed because you would go in and basically have to say, I committed a crime. Here's the money to back up the taxes for it. So I don't think they can legally, that's like a catch 22 situation. And the United States are not allowed to do that according to our constitution. I'm going to tell you right now, it's 1921 and, or 1930, 31. And I mean, we had the fifth amendment back then. I know, but they don't give a fuck. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that, that part's probably true. That's what I'm saying. If you were on trial today for that, like that shit wouldn't fly. No, they probably like get him on his other crimes. They'd probably drop the tax and get him on his other crimes. But yeah, because I mean, my assumption is that he was obviously operating under some like loophole because they couldn't like prove precisely what it was that he was doing. So they used what they could against him. But I mean, I also feel like they would have to prove he was doing the thing because if it's tax evasion, it's not so much. I feel like that's not I feel like tax evasion is not the crime of not paying your taxes. It's conducting business in a way that purposefully avoids paying taxes that's my understanding of it i don't know if that's accurate but like yes and it's like it's not like something you can apologize for i don't know know? income tax was so young back then like it's so weird that i don't know like income tax like that was being defined a lot more during this time i bet you there's been a lot of amendments to how this is works between then and now oh well yeah i mean because theoretically like i mean everything that fucking the ultra wealthy do is tax evasion because they are literally evading taxes they're just doing it under a legal sense but but also i mean i'm pretty sure like based on the original interpretation of the constitution like everyone looks at federal income tax as technically illegal but it's just like i mean there's no way to like get rid of it at this point yeah no you'll you'll see like He's a billionaire and he's not paying tax. He's claiming he makes nothing. That's the thing. Is like he's not even filing any taxes at all. He could have fudged the numbers, gotten a lawyer, and said like, "Oh, I have these three brothels. They make so much, and this is how I." Go. He just has to be able to justify. He just didn't know people were following him, watching him buy a thousand dollars with a pork chops. Like, how do you like? How do you figure that out? Like, if you're doing that every day, then you have to be making so much. Like, he could have figured it out if he just was smart enough to do it that's all he just didn't know he had to to so that he didn't know he had to pay taxes he just didn't know that the cops were following him and fucking with him right because he's all illegal he figured i don't know like that other guy it's all illegal i don't have to pay taxes on that and now you do dude it's only like three years old that ruling right when he gets fucked one? or ill-gotten gains how are taxable that only started in 1927 so he gets arrested mm. he gets put in jail in 1933 so it's only five or six years old the law of that being like hammered down by the fucking Supreme Court. Well, I think, just, and that's and that's where it comes from. Really, that was, that was the other point I was going to make is that if it's the Supreme Court, 
they're literally the people who decide how to interpret the amendments. Like, if they decide it. It was still up in the air until that point. According to the law, illegal earnings had to be claimed. He paid his property taxes, stuff like that, just never paid income tax. So with all the circumstantial evidence they had against Al, the federal government eventually decides to bring Capone in for tax evasion. Al hires a tax lawyer who actually fucks him over. I think it was just a bad lawyer. They figured out a modest amount to tell the prosecutors he made and told Al to offer to pay all his back taxes on that sum. It was $100,000 a year. They should have never admitted to anything to the prosecutors because after they saw him with all his expensive clothes and lavish parties, uh, $100,000 a year wouldn't be able to afford anything like that. So now that he's lying to the cops, they get him even worse. The state thought that if they went to trial, they weren't going to be able to convict with the amount of evidence they had. But the evidence is circumstantial, damning but circumstantial. So Al offers them a deal. Al gives them a deal. He pleads guilty with the understanding that he would only pay, get two and a half years in jail and pay $10,000 in taxes, in back taxes. They're scared they're not going to actually prosecute him because this is all fresh laws. What do they know? It's all circumstantial. So they say, well, cool. We'll get him to admit guilt. At least they'll recover some of the back taxes and get Al off the street for a couple of years. So they bring the deal to the judge, Judge James Wilkerson, who fucking hated Al Capone, by the way. And he threw out the deal. He said, I'm not accepting this deal. We're going to we're going to court. And Damn. Capone said, fine. He rescinds his pl- guilty plea and decides to try his luck in court. So Al decides that's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to get off by bribing or intimidating the jury. I'll just either one, bribe them, intimidate them. I can do that. No problem. So even if he does get time, it would be a minor like a fence and he'd like be like a hotel stay again. Ralph only got 18 months. How much could I really get? Like two years, two and a half, three years, maybe you could do that. No problem. So on the first day of trial, they bring in Capone. After Capone's brought into the courtroom, the judge orders the jury to leave. So the jury gets up and walks out and a new jury is brought in. A new jury that Capone didn't know about and hadn't had a chance to bribe or intimidate yet. So they had another jury trial going on like two courts over. They just swapped juries. Genius. Capone's like fucking pissed about it. He doesn't, he's like panicking now. He's actually scared. Capone was eventually found guilty. And we talked about why in the last episode because people would rather him be guilty for tax evasion because it's the fucking depression and they want the government to have the money to give them money back than the guy who provided them alcohol, their fund for the past. So they went for the, so they got him. Judge Wilkerson threw the book at Capone, giving him 11 years on something he thought he would get max two and a half, maybe three years. So Capone, he was kept in the Cook County Jail. Capone knew he was going to serve his time in Leavenworth, Kansas, where he was friendly with the warden and he'd be able to live lavishly while running his operation. Cook County didn't let him uh, do up a cell like he did in Philly, but they did give him some special treatment. He did get to make calls and run his operation, and he got whatever visitors he wanted, and he got to visit his son and wife at the warden's house. Wait, I have a question. Yep. I have a, I have a, sorry, I have a question about this jury. So did they bring in like the people that were originally selected for a different case? Because don't both lawyers have the opportunity to essentially like judge the like impartialness I agree. of the jurors. And I don't understand how people out or do they just throw out the fucking rules and they're like, 
Fuck it. We think he bribed him. Swap. They swapped from just a jury down the road. So I, I don't think any of the court got any. Man, they did not follow any sort of fucking due process here, huh? But I don't know if jury selection was the same back then. I don't think they I, don't know. I, I tried to figure it out. As far as I can tell, they've been doing it the same way since the 1760s. So where they interview 50 people, like how do they get 50? And then they figure out like. No, it's, it's just a process called word dire, word dire, whatever. Word but it basically dear. refers to word like. Dear. Yeah, sure. But it refers to like chopping the jury down based on basically both sides having input. So it just seems like if they went through that whole thing, I mean, sure, you'd have to start over if he bribed them. But but then you can't really figure out a way to do it because they keep bribing them. And he's the judge. And the judge probably did this knowing it's not legal and going like, we'll deal with it in appeals. Well, what was also really interesting, um, I don't know if you get to it, but I was looking into like what his lawyer's arguments were. I don't know if you actually talk about yeah, that for at sure. all? well not really because i kind of skimmed past one of his arguments was was the piece i was talking about was that they straight up argued him paying taxes on illegal activity would have been against his fifth amendment right and apparently the u.s basically said now this is a new precedent like you have no fifth amendment rights when it comes to paying taxes on crimes which is fucking crazy uh because it's the whole point of the fifth amendment but then the other one is that the government could have couldn't have collected the taxes as they'd be illegally profiting off of a criminal enterprise, which is like a fucking genius defense. I mean, obviously it didn't work, but yeah, it didn't well, work. Yeah, but. I mean, that's literally like the fucking whole point of the war on drugs now. It's the exact same, like really. And also, like that's like no crazier than like any other fucked up ruling that they've made over the past fucking hundred years following that like well they but they use this as they literally just decided on a whim to fucking undo roe v wade based on complete and utter fabricated bullshit like yeah that's true you know what i mean like there's tons of things the government has done like that's it's just not any more crazy or worse than the the government deciding what the fuck they're gonna do i mean like think of like every fucking presidency we've had at some point in Every fucking presidency, the president does something inherently unconstitutional. Yeah, for sure. And you don't like drones? Ever happens. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, you're a drone defender to the end. We know you make them. We know you program yeah. them. I, I automated murdering brown children in <laughs> poor countries. It's crazy. I just tell my watch to do it, and it does it. I got a kill count right on my watch right here. Yeah. 17 today. I can, tell, I can tell the exact temperature of their bodies as their corpse is decomposing <laughs> on an hour to hour basis. That's fucked up. Yeah. All right. So Capone sent to jail right away, went to the Cook County jail. Capone knew he was going to serve his time in Leavenworth, Kansas, where he had friendly with the warden and he'd be able to live lavishly running his operation through that jail. Cook County didn't let him set up a cell like they did in Philly, but they gave him some special treatment. He did get to make calls. He ran his operation. He got whatever visitors he wanted. He got to visit his son and wife at the warden's house. He got like treatment, better treatment than most. Then when he's about time to be transferred, they transfer him to the Atlanta penitentiary. Not where he thought he was going. This is that little meeting where Capone and uh, Ness have where the trip from uh, Cook County to the train station. It's the only time they ever actually met. You could go back to an episode, like I said. Al was pissed about going to Atlanta, though, because he didn't know anybody in Atlanta. He knew people in Leavenworth, and he's now he's going to have to go to be in real jail. Uh, he doesn't have enough sway to get by over there. He was excited to go somewhere else because in Cook County, he was by himself in a cell all day. At least in jail, he'd be around other people. He was he was a very social person, as we've talked about. He loved the crowd, so he did like to have people around him. Now, he was transferred there. One of his men 
actually got arrested. It's not Frankie Rio. It's another guy just so he could watch Al in jail. Like he wanted to go with him. So he did go with one of his men. So when Capone gets to Atlanta, he's evaluated medically and the prison doctors diagnose him with neurosyphilis. So his, his syphilis had actually gone up to his brain and started to rot his brain in Atlanta. Capone didn't get any special treatment. He lived in a bunk with six other men. Capone tries to keep his head down so they could get early release. So apparently if you were good for every 30 days, you were good. You got 10 days off your sentence. So he knew math. He was good at at uh, like the, the bookkeeping at stuff. So he knew like if he would just, he'd spend a third of, or a quarter of his time, he'd get off if he just kept his head down. So he ends up uh, working in the shoe shop. Most of the time he's there, learns a little skill. He keeps quiet. Nobody, people wanted to fight him because he's Al Capone. But like he had his like bodyguard there. Nothing really bad happens in Atlanta. He's there for two years. He would have stayed in Atlanta for his whole sentence. But Alcatraz is refabricated into a civilian jail in August 1934. Alcatraz was converted into a federal prison from an old military prison on an island off the coast of San Fran. Al was sent there just to send a message to other gangsters. The worst of the worst go there and good luck running your operation from there. You live in a trash heap. It's a fucking six by six cell with no windows, surrounded by water, hard for people to come visit you. Or sorry, it's a six by ten cell. Capone didn't have any recognition there either. He was just known as Prisoner 85. Nobody had names in Alcatraz, none of the prisoners. They just named him by their number. Capone's neurosyphilis was getting worse too. Other inmates didn't care that he was the great Alphonse Capone while he was there. He was actually... It was like fucking big time murderers, people with 25 to life living there. He was got 11 years for tax evasion. He was just sent there on principle. So he was kind of like a little bitch there and he was starting to lose his mind. A lot of people just wanted to make a name for themselves. So he's bullied in jail by the other inmates. He really was. He didn't want to make any waves. Al knew I got to be keep my head down. So he didn't really do much. He just took the punishment from the other guys. It wasn't really all bad for Capone and Alcatraz. He got to play banjo in the prison bands. And they would play cool. every Sunday for the inmates. That was his. That was his real dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be the best <laughs> Italian banjo player. <laughs> Kept calling it his. Uh, he had a mandolin too, I believe, when he was in there. He did that until he got too sick from his neurosyphilis. The untreated syphilis from his younger years finally caught up with him, and it spread to his brain. <laughs> play the fucking banjo. He's like doing it upside down and trying to like blow into it. <laughs> It's the stupider he got, the better he got a banjo. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the way it works. <laughs> he's fucking drooling and seizing, but he's just like. <laughs> yeah, he ended up getting sent to the medical wing of Alcatraz for the last year or so of a sentence. He spent eight years in total. When he got out, he was a shell of a man. He was prone to violent outbreaks and he had dementia. Capone was said to have the mental capacity of a 13-year-old when he was released. Uh, when he got out of prison in January 1939, he moved back to Miami with May. And he gets to be 13 again? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, dude. Like, you get out of jail, you For go everyone back with but you, you it sucks, though. <laughs> nah, because then, like, you can just, like, fucking read comics and watch cartoons and jerk off all the time and... <laughs> What's the difference between 30 
year old fucking RJ and 13 year old RJ then. Oh, I don't get to do that, dude. I don't have time for that shit. I don't have time for comic books. No, or jerking <laughs> off. Yeah, he gets out of prison January 1939. He moves back to Miami. May watched the love of her life deteriorate more and more as the years went. Sonny at this time had his own kids and Al wasn't always having violent outbursts. He loved hanging out with his grandkids, swimming in his giant pool. Yeah, they probably shared similar interests. They definitely did. There's, <laughs> there's two stories about Al in his later years that spread that are absolutely not true. The first one was that Al was so messed up that he would get up in the middle of the night and he would be found in his PJs fishing in his giant pool in the backyard, which never happened, not once. Yeah, Al deteriorated more and more up until his eventual death, but he never got to that point per se. But from time to time, he would just have conversations with people that he had killed over the years, though. Like, he would do that. He'd be like, oh, I had to kill you, man. I'm sorry. It wasn't my fault. And people would just catch him like, what is he talking about? It's like, oh, old, like, big bones Johnny that he had to shoot in 1925. He's talking to him again. So he'd do shit like that, but he never, he'd forget where he was. He never got up in the middle of the night though and fished in his fucking pool. Yeah, they just covered that up. I bet he was shitting in the pool or something. Could be. I, I really no point, you know, like what would be the point in hiding all that? I don't know. Like keep up his legacy of being like a fucking Shame. asshole murderer. Like, yeah, his. dude, like that's well, cause like that, that's kind of cool if you're, you know, like if you're dumb, like. Like a lot of people were like and are about that kind of shit. Like he's like tough, macho guy. I mean, that's that's very embarrassing to be caught in the middle of the night, you know, taking a dump in your in ground swimming pool <laughs> or like trying to like. Yeah, the dementia like he, he could have done it. I don't know. He was like, forget where he was. People try to say, hey, Al, you're fucking lost. You're shitting in a pool and he'd freak out on them. He'd have violent uppers yeah. all the time. He'd be like, I'm snorky. He's masturbating in public. <laughs> I'm reading my Superman comic and jerking yeah. off. May really never brought him out of the house too much. He stayed at home for the later part of his life. Good reasons. Yeah. The second rumor that I wanted to spell is one I don't really want to, but I only want to because it's fun to do it. But it's it's a very wholesome one that people make a very wholesome picture from Al Capone from this. The rumor is that Al Capone used to dress up as Santa every Christmas and give presents to the kids. It's not true. He couldn't be around people too much. He would freak out. So he never actually was nice and gave out presents. That never happened. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they tried once. <laughs> he just came out, fucking beard suffocating him, going like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking all the kids crying. Yeah, they, they went scars on, on his face. <laughs> They they went on and on about Al's later life, about like how he was kind of sad and blah blah blah. I don't really care. It's boring. He just deteriorated. He was like by the end of his life, he's like a nine year old brain, and he just dies one day of a stroke, January twenty first, nineteen forty seven. May was by his side. He was just just after his forty eighth birthday, a couple days after his forty eighth birthday. Ah, it's pretty young. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He got $600 a month from the mob to live out the rest of his years. The outfit also paid for his and his mother's house or his May's house. Sorry. And after his death, the family fended for himself and were mostly out of the outfit. The gangsters would typically take care of widows, but not children. So Sonny was out of the will, but May was taken care of for the rest of her life. Uh, Al's mother outlived him. She died years later. Ralph and May both lived into their old age. 
but he seemed to like have like a good life really after prison. He just wasn't all there anymore, but he had everything he wanted, a house in Miami, nice grandkids coming over all the time, jerking off, reading comic books and shitting in pools. It seemed like <laughs> fuck yeah. Pretty good, you know what I mean? Like so here's my question for this entire thing for you guys. Capone had it much better than anything Elliot Ness had at the end of his life, only nine short years later. So really the question is, does crime pay? Like <laughs> Elliot Ness was trying to be a goody two shoes his whole life, died a drunk asshole. Nobody liked him. Burnt in a fucking left in like a shoebox in a closet for like 30 years, forgotten about. Al Capone still talked about to this day. And Elliot Ness wouldn't even be famous if it wasn't for Al Capone. Right. Yeah. No, no. It, it... It absolutely does because that's why like they there's no like the the mob in like organized crime doesn't exist anymore because people in power stole that idea yeah. and figured out a legal means of doing it for sure like for literally sure. any government body or corporation has tactics and pretty much ideals identical to shit that these guys did back in the day that's what i'm saying he studied in harvard law school about how he structured his business and how like money yeah because they're like you want to be a congressman this is how you be one that's really the story of al capone i gave you what i like there's so much on al capone like so much probably 30 bucks mm-hmm. you know and i i could have went on and on i just gave you the stuff i thought was most fun about his life and uh yeah i i think crime pays i think especially in 1928 i would have not fuck being a lawman go out and fucking take your money shake down the vendors you know you spent a couple years in jail sure just maybe go get the antibiotics to get the here's another thing i didn't tell you in his later life antibiotics were like normal by then normalized and they kept shooting him with Mm. like high doses of antibiotics and it just didn't work they just kept trying may just kept giving them more and more yeah yeah (laughs) but they didn't know they didn't know back then about like you getting built up resistance to antibiotics it wasn't that it was just too far in like they couldn't get it was just too far gone he was too far gone so any questions about al capone yeah i don't know what else to tell you i think that was all the stories and you're gonna play i need to play that song i sent it to you on facebook all right cool this is what's the band called again Southside rippers Southside rippers (laughs) i don't know if that's the band or that's just the name of the song I want to say the the name of the 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 name of the band is parental advisory explicit content is is re, repose. <laughs> just let me I don't think this. it's a band. I think it's just one individual. Just just a guess. All right, Southside Ripper, produced by Justin Bugatti. Just Bugatti. That's what the guy's name is. Just. Bugatti. I don't think that's the guy's name. I think his I name care. is Repose. Oh, Repose. I think the guy who produced it is Just Bugatti. The guy who's who you're about to hear is Repose. Yeah. You can't freely share our fame with these people. They haven't even proven themselves. Hey, this guy has three. This guy has three likes on this song. It can't be that bad. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I love random shit like this. So yes, we will share everything we can. This is terrible. The beat's about to kick. I'm gonna tell you when. Three, two. 
you. That's not the beat. That's him Why? coming in. Fucking Nike camo shorts. Check like Newport. I don't smoke. Can't take you serious. No. If you are a joke. Ha. Dude, I'm going fast. He's still trailing in the back. Yeah. What a slow poke. Don't ever RJ give just left. Grizzly, a slow poke. Driving in a black sedan. That's for Al. Big Al. This one goes up to Al. So you better run. Never outside to see the morning sun. Best keep a gun. But self-defense don't really need shit. If you aren't skilled, don't want to get killed. I just watched Private Dicks and I think RJ's the funniest. What? Come on!